0: Welcome to the Milestone Church Podcast. Whether you are at home, on the road, or at work, we hope you find this message encouraging and helpful for your life. You can watch other messages just like this one on our website at milestonechurch.com messages. What a great weekend we're having here at Milestone Church as we celebrate all that God is doing. I wanna welcome our McKinney campus, our Hazlitt campus. Welcome all of those of you that are watching online, maybe in a video venue here at the Keller campus or watching this message later. Let's put our hands together and welcome everyone that's joining in with us. Well, it's absolutely amazing what God is doing among the next generation at Milestone Church. And I, I want us to not just take that flippantly, but to embrace it, to celebrate it, to give more glory to God, to honor him for what he's doing in this unique generation. It's actually just amazing to me to see how many of them are being impacted. God is touching them, calling them, clarifying himself to them, and it's absolutely amazing. And then these baptisms, we don't wanna take that for granted. I wanna say thank you to you. It's an honor to be your pastor because you, are willing to keep the main thing the main thing. You know, uh, I've been doing this a while. I I got saved at a young age. I grew up in church. I started pastoring my first church at 21 years old. I've done a lot of church, y'all. You know what I'm saying? I've been to a lot of church services. I've been in church. And let me tell you what can happen. It's easy along the way in the journey to start gravitating to the subtext and forget the main text. It's easy to start drawing your own bullseye and gravitate away from the bullseye that Jesus clearly gave. Jesus did not mince words when he said, I came to seek and to save that which is lost. And so to be in a place where we are investing our energies and our efforts, yet seeing the lost turn from darkness to light, that is worth celebrating because all of heaven is celebrating this weekend. Come on, come on. Yeah, it's worth celebrating. There's a party in heaven, and uh, don't, don't ever forget too that every single one of those people that are being baptized are someone's dad, someone's brother, someone's friend, that they will now get to spend eternity with them because they have committed their life to Christ, and so I'm just fired up about it. I get emotional in the front row every time I just watch that, and uh, it's amazing. I'm gonna ask if you have your Bibles to turn with me to the book of 1 John. It's later in the New Testament. We're going to dig in this book. You may remember or may have seen some of the anchor verses in this set of passages. There's some of our favorites. There's some great ones in there. We're gonna hit them along the way, but maybe you've never had the opportunity to spend a little bit of time to really understand what the book is about and who it's written to and then translate that into your own life. And so that's what I want us to do together over the next few weeks in this short book. It's a very interesting book because I love the motivation. I tie into the motivation of it because it's written by the apostle John, and uh, he's the one that Jesus loved and was friends with. He wrote the book of John. It's, it's the book that I tell someone when they first give their life to Christ. You need to read John. Jesus' friend wrote it. He, he's not writing from hearsay. He's not saying, well, I heard this about Jesus. He says, even in the first part of the first verses of First John, We're speaking from firsthand experience. We were with him. We were with him. We saw him do the miracles. We were there, we experienced him. I'm like, man, you got my attention. He's the one that Jesus from the cross said, take care of my family. So this guy is close and personal and experiential. And I think what I love about the book of 1 John is he's, he's writing it a little later in life. So he has some insights, and really it's, it's Pastor John writing to us. I, I feel his intensity in the book. I, I feel his concerns. I, I, I hear the Holy Spirit speaking through him. Of course it's the Bible, but because I've spent the last month just sort of pondering it and asking God what he wants to say to you, and thinking about you as your pastor, thinking about how much I want you to experience the things that John's saying. So I, I, I'm i really just wrapped up in it. I hope you can catch a little bit of my enthusiasm this weekend for what Pastor John has to say to us. He's not just Apostle John, he's actually a pastor of a church in Ephesus. Now, this is an important church in Ephesus. By the way, you might think when you read the Bible this has nothing to do with us. It's like, wow, I mean it's like, yeah, I know God speaks through it, but it's like how do we really connect to it? Well, Ephesus is a important city. It's really critical in the ancient world. A lot of commerce, a lot of trade, a lot of people. In fact, it's a lot of things they're battling there. I mean, it's kind of a New York, a LA, a DFW, a London, a a place where there's the hustle and bustle of activity, and they're battling, and he's battling with some things as the pastor of this church, and uh, I think we can relate to some of those. One of the things is a lot of the people there had experienced some traumatic things, you see, Jesus is in around the 30s AD. Jesus crucified and buried and resurrected. And, and then he Jesus prophesied this moment that would happen. And in 70 AD, there's been this occupation and takeover and destruction of the temple. And so these people are like coming out of a massive, full experiential thing that's happened. It's like a a nuclear war, a a massive, massive thing. And so they would have had friends who died in this. They would have all been affected by this. So the first thing in the book is if you're going through a challenging season, if you've been through something traumatic or you've got someone that you love that's facing one of their greatest life's battles, Pastor John is writing to you. Because he wants you to know how to handle those traumatic things that you're going through. They also are dealing with a time in which a lot of these first believers in this church have drifted away and been drawn away by false teachers and they're battling the culture. The culture is gone crazy. If you think, oh man, our world is crazier than it's ever been, well, well, <laughs> Go back to the first century. It was a whole lot crazier too. So God never leaves us in a place where the world's getting darker with no answers. He never leaves us in a place of suffering with no hope. He never leaves us in a place where even people who used to follow Jesus have been drawn away by what someone said on the internet. He doesn't leave us alone in that place. His word still speaks to us today. Pastor John has something to say to you. This church was started by the Apostle Paul. You can read about his farewell in Acts 20. He then turned it over to young Timothy. Timothy is pastoring it, and that's why the letters there are Paul writing to the young pastor, don't let anyone look down upon you because you're young. I I imagine it was probably intimidating to pastor a church that Paul planted and John was a member of. You know, I can just think about preaching there. You'd be like, let's just not look at Paul and John. I'm going to look over here at the heathens. (laughs) I don't want them to listen to my message, all right? He starts off with this, though. The book is hard to outline because it's somewhat circular. It's somewhat has a harmony. It's like symphonic. He just kind of keeps, it's kind of hard to outline because he just keeps circling the same things. You know, he's a, he's Pastor John, so he's talking to people and he's also kind of, I think of it kind of like a parent, you know, it's like, I've got three things I need to tell you. Number one. and. And then I get to number two and realize you didn't get to number one and you don't have number one, so I go back to number one. Anybody been a parent before? We get to three, but we're going back to one. And then we go to two, but hey, we probably need to go back to one. So then we're trying to get to three, but you didn't even get one. And by why the way, why, the, why are you not paying attention to me? Let's go back to number two. And you just kind of end up going, I've lost my mind. <laughs> so that's what John is doing. He just kind of keeps revisiting these things. And it's like, where are you going, John? He's like, I just wanna make sure you get this stuff, but he starts with, make my joy complete. I will have the most joy, not from what you can give to me, but if you get the motivation you need and the principles you need in your life, that will make my joy complete. What makes you get filled with joy? I know when you're younger, it's like, if I could get that degree, if I could get that house, if I could get to here, you know, it's like, man, I'd be really complete if I could get that. Get a little bit older and joy rises on different circumstances. So for me, joy rises when I can have some peace and some time, you know what I'm saying? So I had one of those moments recently. Um, I, I realized my daughter, Lorna Elizabeth, now I have two out of the house, and. Lauren Elizabeth, was she was going to high school camp. So I'm like, well, we're down a kid, Joy's rising. (laughs) Then Laney Kate said, I wanna go visit grandma. Joy is getting off the chart. Y'all know what I'm saying. It's me and mom. Me and mom are gonna test drive this empty nester thing for the weekend. I'm feeling joy. A revival might break out. We got the whole house to ourselves. That's a different message, marriage series. And man, I think it's going to be awesome. So we get it all set up. You know, We're going to have our little night. We're going to have a little in the house, staycation, date night. Got a little movie queued up, ready. I'm like, you're going to make something to eat. Now she kind of robbed my joy because she said, Jeff, we got to eat something healthy. We got to be good. I'm like, do we have to? So she made some, this is, this is still blowing my mind. It's still hard to comprehend. She made pasta that's not pasta. And when did pasta not become pasta? It's peas, but it's pasta. That's like walking on water. Like how did pasta become peas? And peas, it's chickpeas, honey. So we're going to have some chickpea. I'm like, just don't tell me. <laughs> but it's going to be some chickpea pasta, and we're going to put some imitation cheese probably, and we got some chicken that they sold us three prices to say that it was organic and it's never had anything bad in its diet, but they're lying to me, it's just chicken. (laughs) You know it's just chicken, quit putting all them labels on there. And so we got some chicken and some chickpea pasta cheese thing up there and my joy went out the window when I realized we're not alone. These kids left me their dog. (laughs) See, we got a new puppy at the little household. It's a golden doodle, and he's like big as a St. Bernard, and he's got, I forget that he's eight months old, and he's like a kid, and I'm not a good dog parent. Because I hear people out there like, Jeff, you can train him. We sent him to training. There's only one problem. The trainer doesn't come back to our house to keep training him, and I'm a terrible Dog-centered parent, just do what you want to. Leave me alone. So we're sitting there, movie queued up, pea pasta, chicken on the stove, and I hear a rattling. I look around. He's on all right up on there, eating our dinner. Joy's leaving. He's eating the dinner off the stove. I thought, well, that's fine. Just keep eating. I want a DoorDash of a hamburger anyway. Anyway, come on. You know what I'm saying? Just have it, brother. Eat it. I want to look for the hamburger. I didn't wanna eat that stuff anyhow. Just go ahead. It's bad trading. John's not talking about those kind of things when he talks about his joy complete. He tells us at the end of the letter where he's trying to get us and he uses the word overcome. I want you to be able to overcome a dark culture that's having debauchery type parties at the temple and living in sexual immorality. I want you to overcome even when some of us are dying for our faith, I want you to overcome, even though we just walked out of this traumatic event and people probably have post-traumatic stress syndrome and there's people in your family that were there, I want you to overcome, Pastor John says. I don't want you to succumb to all of this. Make my joy complete by overcoming. Now some of you are like, I need to overcome. I need some overcoming power. Things are coming at me. So he tells us the way for that to happen is love. He says, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. He then quotes Jesus that he heard Jesus say this in the final hours of Jesus's life. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. The one, this is one of my favorites, The one who is in you, I remember memorized it, greater is he who is in you, but the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. You have a greater source to overcome is what he's telling us. And so you say, why do you call this series this overcoming and this this love? So he, he keeps focusing on love, he keeps focusing on the motivation. I've learned this myself as a pastor, as a friend, as a parent. Here's what I've learned. You do what you want to do. You do what you're motivated to do. You do what you love to do. You are motivated at the highest degree. If there's someone you love, there's no sacrifice too great. I had a beat up car with problems, and Brandy and I, when we started dating, I was in Waco, Texas at Baylor University. By the way, my kids named the dog Baylor to trick me. That's how they got me to accept him into the family. If they'd have named him Aggie, we would have just given him away. (laughs) And she lived in Weatherford, and I would go visit, and there was no distance too far because I was in love. When you have a love motivator, There's no price too high. There's no sacrifice too great. There's not even as much need for self-improvement discipline. You are willing to make the steps if you're in love. And so he highlights this love motivator is the bridge between his joy being complete and you overcoming. Now some of you are saying, what is it that he is wanting us to overcome? Because he outlines those things. The first thing he deals with is the darkness of the world, the darkness of the culture, the the growing ever-present darkness and challenge that these new first century Christians are facing. It's wrapped up in the economics of their culture. It's wrapped up in the political system of their culture. It's wrapped up in the world they live in. And he uses the word know, K-N-O-W, I want you to hear this if you're in Hazlitt, 30 plus times, I need you to know this. You have to know this. Now, when we hear the word no, we think about a cerebral understanding. We think, oh, I got it. Oh, I could pass it on a test. I could could pick it out of a multiple choice. That's not the word he's using. It's gnosko, the Greek understanding of that word is a relational experiential knowing. Forgive me, I'm from East Texas. I I think about it like you have to know it in your knower because there's things you have knowledge of that you don't know. You could study all day some certain things that you have knowledge of, but you don't know it. Because this life with Christ that he wants us to have, this fellowship that he's inviting us into is not a cerebral understanding of an ideology or a knowledge of the subject that you could say, I align with these attributes of the Christian faith. He says, we want you to have fellowship with the son. We want you to have it in a knowledge, in an experiential knowledge that can actually give you the power to overcome the darkness. It has to be real. He then says you need to overcome false teachers. Again, they've had a church split, if you will. They've had a big group of people get taken off. This is a big theme in the New Testament, by the way. You're like, why, do we, why are they always in the New Testament you know, talking about the real Jesus and this is not the real Jesus and don't get persuaded by this. John even tells us, Pastor John, you need to test the spirits and make sure that they're really acknowledging the true and living Jesus because people will come up with a Jesus that entertains their dysfunction and their sin. Oh, well, I worship Jesus too, but I do this and I just do this, but Jesus is okay with this. Jesus is not okay with that and has never been okay with that. You got to make sure you have the real Jesus and it's present today. I warn you as a pastor, just because it sounds cute on the internet, just because someone's writing about it, just because someone says, oh, we have this special spiritual knowledge. You should get involved with it. Happens all the time today. Oh, it's the special thing, it's the special knowledge, it's the thing you've never heard before, it's the vitamin that cures all, it's a thing you need to get. We're inundated with it. And I, a lot of times this, by the way, this was in the early church. There was a heresy called Gnosticism that was a, we have the special knowledge. If anyone starts with, you've never heard this before, run. There's nothing new under the sun. If it doesn't align with, I know everyone is like, no, we want something a little more special, a little more flashy. I'm telling you, I've spent decades reading the New Testament. It's the same meal over and over and over and over and over. And if you're not excited in your little special spiritual group, who's getting saved at that? Nobody. Well, maybe you are of a spirit, but it's not the spirit of God, because the spirit of God, when it comes upon you, says, I wanna empower you to be witnesses in a dark culture. (laughs) I'm sorry, haven't preached for a month. I feel like I'm panthering at you. (laughs) Been praying for you all month. We live in a world where there's so much information and a lot of it's garbage. It's garbage. It's lies. And Paul is then now planting this church and Timothy's pastored this church and now John later in his life, he's kind of old enough, he doesn't care. Y'all need to know your pastor's getting close to 50. I hear when you get 50, you just don't care anymore. (laughs) False teachers. I took a 360 review years ago, a few years ago it's where your team evaluates you and they do it anonymously. And uh, of course, when I got the feedback, I'm trying to figure out who said these bad things about me. <laughs> it's a good thing I didn't get the chance to do handwriting analysis. But you know what, we identified a lot, of it. this is me. I feel that pastor, when I get intense, my intensity is I don't like people to get hurt. John's saying don't get drawn away by this stuff. False teachers, he then says sin. We don't talk about it a lot anymore. He, he addresses it. He says, if you say you don't have it, the truth is not in you. Because it's present and it's there to rob you and to steal from you and to destroy you. He says, that sin is present and he says, if you have it, you need to confess your sins one to another. Confess them to God so that you can be purified and you can be healed. He's dealing with a dark culture and he's addressing sin and then he addresses hate for your brother or your sister. He hits that over and over, the fellowship that we have with one another. So that includes when families break down and then they had that. They had all the political upheaval and the Roman issues and the Greek issues and all of that going on in our world today. My son and I took a little trip on vacation. We went to a fishing lodge. When I walked up to the lodge, it had a sign on the door that said, no one can discuss politics here. I thought, well, that's interesting. I asked the guy who owned it, he said, in the last three years I've had almost fist fights and people that can't even enjoy the weekend just because of the political upheaval. We've pastored people in our church where families and dads and sons haven't talked to each other for two years over political challenges and differences. It says here that it is not just, again, your familial relationships, it's church offense, it's racism, it's whatever it is, it's whatever divides us as human beings. He says, if you say you love God, if you say that you have a relationship with God and you hate someone else, then you're not worshiping the God that John's talking about. You say, how do we overcome all of these things, Pastor? Well, he gives us the theme. Love, it's love, it's God's kind of love. It's not a love that you muster up. Oh, well, I really need to try to love more. No, it's a love you receive. See, Jesus Christ, the imperfect one, went to the cross, died, resurrected. Now, when we have a relationship with him, when you have a relationship with Jesus, your love quotient goes up in all of these areas. So darkness has no pull because you're walking in the light. False teachers do not have the ability to draw you in because you're so in love with your current relationship. Sin doesn't have the same power. You can overcome that addiction. You can overcome pornography, sir. You can overcome gossip and backbiting and offense and insecurity. You can overcome those things, not in your own power. You don't have a sin problem, you have a love problem. Because when you love Jesus, what happens is you just kind of start growing in him and have fellowship with him and you walk in the light and slowly but surely he's pushing darkness out of your life and you don't even know how you ended up there. You're like, wow, I have so changed. He changed my want to. Your love for others. Did you know you can have a grace for people when you have the love of God at a high level in your life? It changes you. You say, "Well, that's great, pastor. We've got a real insight into First John, but how, how do we do that? You know What's holding us back from that? Well, John tells us in the middle of the book, if you have First John now you've turned to it, look at chapter 4, verse 16 through 19, and this is where I want to go real practically on our first week, because I want to address one of the big rocks, because all of you might say, "Well, I want the love of God more in my life." I, I wanna overcome these things. I I wanna have that what's holding me back. John addresses it in 1 John 4, 16 through 19. He says to us that it's fear. It's fear that holds back love. He says it to us this way. He says, and so we know, know, not knowledge, experiential, relational, we know and we rely on the love God has for us. We rely on the love God has for us. For God is not just distributing love, God is love. God is love. Whenever, whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. And here it is, there is no fear in love. The the thing that overtakes fear in our life is love. Look at this, and we're gonna hone in on this in my last few moments to make it very practical. Perfect love drives out fear. Perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Now, to be fair to the context, it's talking a lot about your relational interaction with God and how you see him and the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, but it's not a tormenting fear, it's a relational interaction, but I believe as you look at this, it's very holistic. It's it's all fear. All fear pushes back love and all love pushes back fear. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Now again, make sure you're getting this. If you're watching me online, wherever you're watching, make sure you get this, this is important. We love because he first loved us. It's because of the experience we've had with his love that's like no other that we now have that love in operation in our lives. But fear is a paralyzing force. It's a paralyzing force. If I'm praying for you to overcome, I'm joining with John who says, I want you to make my joy complete, and I want you to to overcome those things that you're facing in a world that has all these things coming at you, and I want you to have love. We have to address the fear issue. Fear has always been a major challenge. It's always been a major problem. It's even greater in our world today because of our access to all the things we should be afraid of. It's amazing and it's, it's absolutely tormenting the next generation. I'm, I'm in full on assault with this. I'm not a theorist. I'm not a pastor who just studies my Bible and doesn't live with people. This week I spent time with our next generation team after coming off of having a thousand students at all our camps this year. I said, what's the number one issues that you're dealing with? Number one, parents, you need to listen to this. Grandparents, you need to listen to this. Number one issue, paralyzing fear and anxiety. Fear. They're not going to show it to you, but privately, why are you seeing some of the behaviors? It's their fear about their own future. It's their insecurity about the world they live in. It's about their access to all the things that you are, they should be afraid of. Some of us, before we had all this information, I don't know if we were less afraid, we were just stupid enough because we didn't know what we should be scared of. That's right. But analysis paralysis of fear and anxiety in the world they live in. Second one, by the way, was unforgiveness toward parents. By the way, parents all even good parents without meaning it you hurt your children you say things harshly you try to help them but sometimes they hear it as performance or they start apologizing now that's a different a mess that's a different message I haven't done anything they're irresponsible that's your problem start being humble and being part of the process not that you're not ever corrective but start start joining the journey with them but that's a different message let's hit this fear thing I went to our next gen student leadership, which we had 56 high school students spend the summer with us here and grow in leadership. And I just had a Q and A with them and I, I could have stayed there all day. I just loved it. I, I learned from them, they learned from me. And I can't tell you how many of them as I went around the room during Q and A, as they would be transparent with me, I'm, I'm afraid of failing. I'm afraid of my future, I'm afraid of whether or not I'm afraid that what I'll do if God calls it to me, it won't be Instagram worthy. Fear, not just those kinds of fears, but we all live with fear all the time. I, I, I do sometimes. I, I've had, just, just re- a few weeks ago in the middle of the night, just, a, just, just I have an imaginative mind. It's just like, man, the, the, you know every fear is not a spirit, but the spirit of fear can come. It's like, man, I just, you know, you start just having fears for your kids or certain situations and it's like, I just had to roll out of bed and just say, you know what, I'm I'm not gonna let the spirit of fear dominate my life. Now I know that gear, you may not know that gear, but you've gotta get to that gear because fear is inundating us. It's what sells everything to us. If it's not sex, it's fear. It's what you should be afraid of that you may not even be afraid of. We all live in this life. My wife had a recent mammogram. She had a recent mammogram, it's always been clear, it's always been good, and then she gets the call from the doctor, there's an irregularity. Now she and I, again, she just, we know, know the word, we know faith, but for four days, it's like you're battling the spirit of fear. That's right. Everything came back great, praise be to God, everything was fine, but that's the life we live. And if you live long enough, you're gonna have plenty to be afraid of. Her mom right now, she may be watching, Meemaw may be watching, her mom, about six weeks ago, had a back issue, had a blood infection, walked into the hospital and hasn't walked since. She's in a, in a rehab center and she, she, she the, last Sunday night, I just had a burden for her, just in her room, praying over her, the spirit of fear, I will never walk again and, and God bless some of you doctors, maybe you shouldn't always be so honest with us The doctor, I don't know if you will. I I rebuke that in Jesus' name. I appreciate your science degree, but calm down just a minute here. We're we're trusting in Jesus and what he can do because he can raise the dead. But the spirit of fear. And what'll happen is when the spirit of fear gets you stuck, then what the enemy's trying to do is to keep you from moving forward to keep you from that love motivation that God is good. And by the way, sometimes those things are real. They're not just hypothetical like a nightmare. They are real reasons to be afraid. You, you say, well, what do we do? How do we, how do we get to this place of perfected love? How do we, get, how do we move toward that target Because the more I'm in the love of God, the more grace-filled I am. The more I'm in the love of God, the more hope-filled I am. The more I'm in the love of God, the more peace-filled I am. The more I'm in the love of God, then the more I'm able to stand in a dark culture because I know who I am and who I'm loved by. So how do I get to that perfected love? I, I just wrote down a few. This is not an exhaustive list, but as we finish up, let me give you these. How do you know? First of all, I'm angry with God. As a pastor, I see this all the time. And you know, God's okay with you making that step in your grief process, because sometimes the things that happen in our life, we don't understand, we don't like. If you read the Psalms, David was honest. I'm struggling here, God. You you can get in a place, and sometimes anger is part of the grief process, but you can't stay there. We We heard it in the testimony. The enemy used that situation with her father to pull her away from the place that she would continue to get hope through this being angry with God. And I want to tell you, as a pastor, you're like, "Why did this happen to my child? Why did this happen? I'm not. I'm not void of circumstances. My wife's had health issues. I have a daughter with a, a chronic health issue. I've had my father had uh, situations. I'm not. I'm not just some." some person who lives in a bubble who doesn't have stuff to be afraid of. But but here is the thought. It's one of the age old questions. It's one of the number one reasons that again, even in the atheistic community when you dig into it, it's not the science of evolution, it's the emotion of I'm angry with God because of the situations that i faced in my life. But I wanna offer this to you, no one can tell you why. We live in a fallen world and no one can really tell you why. But here's what we have as an option. You can't necessarily know why, and if you knew why, it wouldn't necessarily make it better, but here's what I'm offering to you as a pastor to keep you moving forward. Would you rather face what you do know by yourself or with God? Would you rather him join you in it? Because when the love of God is there, his goodness is so great that even when I don't understand everything about him, I can still receive from him. So I'm angry with God. Even when I don't understand, I continue to engage with God. I can't stop worrying about my health. We have that in our world today. We have all these situations and things and we have devices and you can Google it and and you find a bump and next thing you know, by the time you Google it, you might as well just be dead. You know what I'm saying? It's like, wow, and it just inundates us. Can't stop worrying about my health. Most of my fears will never happen. I just wanna say that to you and say that to every demon in hell. Most of what you're spending most of your life, your one life worrying about won't ever happen. Most of it won't. And by the way, let me, let me say to Hazlitt, to online, to all of you, wherever you're at, even if it does happen for the believer, we always win. We always win. This is an eternal message that we're talking about. It's not a temporary message. We always win, but even if these things do happen, God's gonna be with me in it. I'm afraid to make a big decision. I'm afraid we, we've lost the ability to move forward because of all the fears that paralyze us and make us stuck. I have a young man that I've had a relationship with. I, I, I was there when he was a young man who said, I feel called to this. I was at his what we call manhood ceremonies where we minister to young men and help them walk in their calling. I was there when he said, this is what I'm called to. I was there when he got his acceptance letter and he shared it with me and this is where I'm going to study to reach the future that God's planned for my life. I was there when he graduated from high school and I gave him a gift that aligned with what God's purpose was for his life. And recently, he was paralyzed for three months in moving toward that calling. Now he's not 18 anymore. He's a long way into the journey. And he, ca- he talked to me about it. I'm like, well, what's going on? And so I said, well, we're gonna have a talk. We're gonna have a meeting. We're gonna try to talk about where you're at. And so he was gonna come over to my house last Sunday night. And before he came, I said, you need to take 24 hours and seek God. Let God show you what it is. Let God talk to you. That's a little parenting move, by the way. If we quit trying to tell them everything and let them seek God, when God tells them, they're a lot more open to solutions when they have revelation of what's going on. And so I said, you need to seek God. On his way to my house, he broke down crying and God showed him, I'm under the operation of a spirit of fear. There's a spirit of fear making me. When a spirit of fear begins to operate, you actually self-sabotage your future by being paralyzed, and so we dealt with the spirit of fear. We cast out the spirit of fear. Some of y'all are scared right now. Others of you are glad to know that I know how. You don't counsel spirits. You don't talk to spirits. You say these words, come out. We dealt with the spirit of fear, and now it's amazing this week, the traction he has in his future because the spirit of fear is there to paralyze you. I compare myself with others and I'm bothered by what they say. You know why you have challenged standing in a dark culture? Did you know now colleges in basic wellness programs have entire sections for risk mitigation of your online presence? of what you could or couldn't say that could end up causing you to have a challenging situation. There, there's a there's a massive world we live in today that has multiple tentacles that make us so aware and so concerned and so in tune with what everyone says about us or to us or against us in the world that we live in. I compare myself with others. I'm bothered by what they say. Can I say, this may help somebody, somebody listening to me who's under a paralyzing, continuous, worrisome, emotional, paralyzing, just, just anxiety, you need to be a little less aware of what everybody's saying. You don't need to scroll Facebook with your whole life. You don't need to know. I jokingly, the last few years have said, young people have FOMO, the fear of missing out. I'm about to be 50, I got JOMO. The joy of missing out. I'm glad I'm missing out. People are routine to them. Did you hear what happened? No. No. Did you hear what they said? No, because I'm living my life not just being inundated with what everybody's saying. Because it's just making you more afraid, more paralyzed. I know what God says about me. I'll tell you this last thing. I want to pray for you. There was a girl who went to our youth camp. She had a whole string of friends on a text thread All of them say, we don't like you, we don't want you, you're not welcome. I mean, a massive set of circumstances of things. It's amazing when you go back into people's lives, the power, we're gonna celebrate teachers next week, teachers, the impact you have on young people, pastors, friends, small group leaders. It's amazing when you go back and see how powerful voices can be in your life. Friends, relationships, teachers, all these people saying this to her. So she came to camp, With this paradigm, they don't want me. God doesn't want me. Nobody wants me. Parents, be tuned in. One of the things that you're seeing in your kids is we didn't bring all those people into our everyday life all the time. The battle they face of the perspectives and opinions is different because they have them with them all the time. She had that perspective. But at camp, she got a revelation of what God says about her. She got a revelation by those group leaders and others that began to pray over her and help her see who God says that she is. And I wanna say this, the spirit of fear is not relegated just to the younger generation. It's involved in all of our lives, this, this, this fear paralyzing thing that wants to get us trapped. Pastor John is saying you can overcome. I'm not telling you every circumstance will change in your life but I am saying you can keep moving toward the purpose and plan that God's called you to, and you can do it with Jesus if you have fellowship with him. I want you to bow your heads with me. If you're here today and you say, Pastor, I've never really surrendered to Jesus. I've never, as we saw in the testimony video, I'm gonna ask if it's not an emergency, no one move around. If you're watching online, video venue, wherever you're at, in Hazlitt, no one move around, just for a moment, just for a moment, there's somebody listening to me Just like we saw in this testimony, you need to say, Jesus, I give you my life. I surrender it all to you. I believe you died for me, you rose from the dead. I accept you today as my personal Lord and Savior. Come into my life and save me. If you prayed that prayer, we want to know. If you fill out a communication card, come to Discovery 101. Come forward at the end of the service. You need to tell somebody so we can help you walk out that relationship that you just prayed. But maybe, wherever you're at, how many of you might say, Pastor, I've had an inordinate amount of fear and paralyzing. I need to get focused on that perfect love. I, I have been worried about my health. I've been worried about my kids. I've been paralyzed. I've had some panic. I've had some, some, some things even in the middle of the night. Pastor, would you pray over me just like you did that guy at your house? Would you raise your hand and say, that's me? If you say, pastor, that's me. Hands where I'm at and I know in Hazlitt and other places. Lord, we pray in the name of Jesus that we don't just come to church just to sing and just to to have a, a time to shake hands and have some coffee, but I pray in the name of Jesus, just like we sang earlier. I speak the name of Jesus that has the power to break this off of our lives, Lord Jesus, we have seen your demonstration of love. We've experienced your goodness in our lives, and we choose to turn our attention to the fact that you are good and you are love perfected in our hearts and lives that fear might be removed. Let us walk out of here today. Let us walk into this week with a different perspective because we are so loved by you. In Jesus name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. If there's anything we can do to help you in your walk with Jesus, please don't hesitate to reach out through our website at milestonechurch.com. And if you found this podcast helpful, Leave a review on the podcast app or your favorite podcast platform. We hope you have a great week.